0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, so, we have finally made it back to the main point of Melchizedek. It has been four weeks since we uh, first were, was introduced to this idea of Jesus as priest in the order of Melchizedek, but then out of nowhere, uh, the author just stops and he and he makes a turn, and starting in chapter five, verse what is it? Verse eleven, he begins to talk about um, why he needed to stop right there, why he couldn't go further explaining Melchizedek. You see, really what he was doing was getting us into a spiritual boot camp. He was getting our hearts prepared for this truth About Melchizedek, which is about to go on from here all the way on till chapter eleven, he's going to begin to talk about it. And you see, I I say spiritual boot camp because if it was an intellectual boot camp, then he would just explain who Melchizedek was and go into it. But no, what he says, talking in verse eleven of chapter five, is that uh, we are dull of hearing. We we are just dull of hearing it, and we we're not ready for it yet. Why is that? Because he goes on to say that we, we need, we're desiring spiritual milk instead of the solid food. Now, spiritual milk um, isn't necessarily a bad thing, as we've talked about. And I'll give you an illustration of that. In my life, my parents, who loved me and wanted me to grow up in the faith, said, how can I show him the knowledge that he needs? And they gave me VeggieTales. And yes, VeggieTales was the best thing for me. I loved it so much, but through it I learned some very good truths, but they were spiritual milk. It was so, for example, I learned that God is bigger than the boogeyman. And I needed that as a kid, you know. I was I hated going to sleep. I and knowing that God is Bigger than the boogeyman was just wonderful to reassure myself. And that was spiritual milk that I needed. It was truth that I needed then. But God did not send his son to die on the cross just so that I can, don't have to look under my bed for boogeyman anymore. Instead, he wanted me to continue on learning, um, really, that, the, you know, it goes on and it says uh, God is big enough for you and me. Meaning, like, the more solid food of that is God sent his son to die so that I can trust in him, trust in him with my finances, trust in him with my relationships, uh, my job, whatever I do, I trust in God because he's big enough for me. And so, this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to do. He's saying, you guys want the spiritual milk, and that's what you desire. Why? Because it's comfortable for us. It's nice knowing that I don't have to uh, be scared of boogeyman, but... He wants us to move forward from that, but that causes us to stretch. And so then he continues on in this boot camp. This is where it gets real hard, um, and he gives them a warning. And he's like, listen, if, if you have seen the goodness, the truths of, of Jesus, um, and you prefer the spiritual milk, then there's no true A resurrection for you. Actually, he says that it's like we're crucifying Jesus all over again. We're like we just we want Jesus to stay dead because we like things that are comfortable, not not the things that He's done for us. But then he kind of messes with our emotions a little bit, and he talks about how in their case he knows that that's not them. He knows that they have tasted and seen um, that this is real good, and so. He, he explains to them that, listen, I know that you have lived and loved God, and so all I ask is that you continue to press on to this hope, be an imitator of Abraham. And so then he gives an example through Abraham of how he pressed on to the hope that Jesus gave him. But at the very end of that, he explains how we have a better hope. We have a hope of Jesus as a forerunner, um, I'm sorry, as Jesus, um, it says in verse 20 of chapter 6, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so, listen, we have finally graduated from boot camp, and we are ready to accept this truth. And we need to take this truth. It's not necessarily the truth, the words that you give. It's how you receive it. And that is why we had to go through that boot camp. And so, my big idea for you guys today is that God has created a better hope. God has created a better hope. And we are going to see how this better hope plays out, what this better hope actually is, through Jesus as Melchizedek. Uh, but before we, before we do that, I think this is kind of a complex uh, passage that needs to be broken down. And so, I have a slide that shows my organization. So, you have... You have three legs that make up, you know, the stool. They're foundational, and you find that in the first three verses of this passage. Uh, we have a position, a posture, and a period. These are the three things um, that show us that we God has created a better hope. But then that is supposed to take us to the fourth point that he has, which is a prestige. He has given us through Melchizedek, this great prestige, and that takes us through the rest of it, and we're going to see the implications of that. So that's how I'm kind of going to organize this, just so you guys, I know there's a lot of people that like that organization. Um, So that is how we're going to go through it. Just to make it a little bit more complex, Um, The author kind of assumed with his original audience that they understood who Melchizedek was. So he gives a brief summary, like in between the first two points. And so we're going to hit on that first before we go on to the first point. So I I hope your guys' hearts um, are softened to this truth and excited to hear, okay, what does God have for us? What does God truly want from us in this? So we'll start off. Uh, with the first two verses. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. Okay, so he just summarized this Melchizedek. Uh, There's only three verses that actually talk about what Melchizedek did. There's a fourth verse in Psalm that uh, Raleigh will go over next week but there are only three verses that ever talk about him. And they're very strange. Like this man just comes in out of nowhere. He's a king. And Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, is submitting to him. He's giving him tithes. And this guy's blessing him. And so if you guys can turn to Genesis chapter 14, um, we're going to kind of read into that history a little bit. But as you're turning there, let me give you a summary of what's happened so far in Abraham's life. So Abraham is actually Abram. Abram. Uh, Everything has happened with the flood, right? The flood has come. Uh, Mankind has begun to uh, repopulate. Um, Mankind is evil still, so they build this Tower of Babel to uh, defy God and worship this other God. And God goes, no, I'm not going to have that. Speak other languages. And so then they kind of disperse. But then after that, God calls Abraham, well, Abram, and says, all right, I want you to go to this land in Canaan. And that is where you're going to reside. And Abram's like, all right, and so he goes, and so he goes with all of his stuff. He already has um, a lot of possessions, a lot of wealth, and stuff like that, and he goes. Um, during this time, uh, a lot of good things happen. Well, there's a famine, also a famine, where he goes to a priest, and, or not a priest, a, uh, a, to Pharaoh to, to get some food, um, and he does his every good husband does he says that his wife is his sister and then gets pharaoh in trouble uh and then he finally goes back to uh where he's supposed to be after this famine's done and he has grown so much his uh like his possessions and stuff that he's having struggles with uh, lot who was his relative and they don't have enough land for all the stuff so abram says all right I'll let you decide. You can pick whatever land you want. I'll go to the other one. Um, so they kind of separate. So Lot chooses uh, the, um, this very fertile land. Now, he chose a kind of an unfortunate spot because it was under the reign of the king of Sodom at that time. Now, the king of Sodom uh, got into some mix-ups with these, these other kings. And because of that, the king of Sodom lost. Lot was taken captive. So Abraham finds out, Abram finds out, and he goes, all right, now I need uh, to get involved. And so he just, you know, does as Abraham does, uh, just goes in, kicks butt, and then takes Lot back. Um, and that's where we uh, get to in Genesis chapter 14. So read with me. It says, after his return uh, from the defeat of keter omer the kings who were with him, the kings of Sodom, went out to meet him. At the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, "Blessed be Abram by God Most High, professor or possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand." And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. All right, so that is the only time we ever hear about Melchizedek, except for in Psalms one ten. Now, a lot of people in this passage like to make it very intellectual, and they want to debate, well, um, is this Melchizedek actually? Is it a Christophany of Jesus? Um, did he actually live on forever? Did he actually die? I don't think that that was the main point of the original author, and so I want to kind of stay away from that. Um, instead, we're going to try and talk about the solid food of what it means for Jesus to be in uh, his place, Right? And so we're not going to get into those things. What I do want you guys to know, though, is that there are some things that would have been apparent to their original audience um, in this passage that we won't understand. So I'm going to draw those things out and understand why our flesh, our sinful nature, hates this idea of Jesus being um, high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So with that, I think we can finally jump in. So first verse says in, in Hebrews chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Okay, so what he has does, just done is explained a position. He has just explained a position that shows uh, why Melchizedek is this great hope. And really, when I say Melchizedek, I really mean Jesus, because Jesus is taking it over. Um, he has said that he is King and priest. Now, in the original institution, that was not heard of. There was no king and priest. There was just a king who did his stuff, he ruled over, and there was a priest. In a priest's role, you can see in Hebrews. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So he was a bridge, actually. The Greek word for that, which I can't remember, um, really means like he's a bridge from God to man. Like that is the priest's role. And so he only did that. The king only acted as Lord. You can kind of see this relationship in 2 Kings Um, Chapter 22, verse 13, uh, this is King Josiah. He just found out that their priests weren't doing their job right, um, didn't have the law, and they weren't listening to the law of God. So he says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Okay, so... There is a separate separation, there's a relationship between the king and the priest, but the king really relies heavily on the priest to be in connection with God. And that shows the issue of that original institution. There could be disunity between the two. There could be disunity, which could be exploited. A good illustration of that is like, say, when a kid really wants something from their you know, want something. And so you ask a parent, hey, can I have can I have a bike, you know? And they're like, no, you don't need a bike. So it's like, okay. So then the kid walks to the other parent. Hey, can I have a bike? And they're like, sure, you know? I know we've all done that where, you know, you talk to one parent and then you go to the other parent. Why? Because we know that sometimes we can exploit the fact that they're not one person. If it's just one person, you ask them, their word is final. And that is what this hope is for us why it's greater we have a we have Jesus as both king and priest and look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 through 24 i think it gives a great illustration of what that means spiritually says, so if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gifts there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So in the original institution, they're able to get away with stuff. They didn't have to really work on their heart. They could just hate their brother and go and offer gifts. But when the guy that makes the rules is also the priest who connects you, he says, no, 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 that's not true um, that is not a true faith. That's not true love. You need to go first, do this, be reconciled to your brothers so that you can then be connected to God. And see, that explains why this is a better hope for us. It's because it brings about a pure heart. It is a better hope because it brings about a pure heart. Look at Matthew 5 verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You see, our flesh doesn't like that because it Wants to be able to exploit. It wants to be able to exploit everything. But isn't it so awesome that we have a God who allows us to not just be able to pretend to be Christian, to pretend to have a relationship with Him? That He has truly offered a way for us to really have a life transforming relationship that brings blessings and peace and joy beyond anything we can ever understand that is something that the original institution could not do and so I want to ask you guys something do you live like a pure-hearted Christian do you live your life saying I am all in for what God has to say or do you live a certain way throughout your week, and then you come to church and you put on a Christian face, you know the right things to say, you know, you know how to, um, you, know, you, know, you know how to walk the walk, um, but are you truly here to desire God and to have a pure heart and to really be um, in relationship with God? And so that kind of shows um, the hope of this position of Melchizedek, and really Jesus, But if it was just that, that's not enough for it to be better. And why I say that is, is because just because this Melchizedek was both king and priest, he could have been king and priest of some very evil thing. So it really matters um, what his posture is. And that's my second point. Uh, A posture shows the better hope. Look at uh, the second half of verse 2. It says, he is first, by translation of his name, King of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. And so he is bent towards righteousness and peace. But if you guys know your Old Testament, you'd say, hold on. That's also what the original institution uh, called for, was righteousness and peace. And absolutely, look at Psalm 34, verse 14. I'll just throw some verses at you guys. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalms 119 uh, 165 great peace have those who love your law nothing can make them stumble Proverbs 12 28 says in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death so absolutely there's a connection between righteousness and peace in the old testament <clears throat> but the issue is is that they cannot live up to God's righteous standard instead Because they couldn't live up to it, they've redefined it to make their own righteous standard, which ultimately means that they don't actually have peace with God, right? If you're not made right with God, you don't have peace with God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. It says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so but what will you do when the end comes? You see, and the priests rule at their own, at their direction. They, they rule in a way that they wanted to rule. And look, my people love to have it so. They like that, that they're not living up to God's righteous standard. Um, <clears throat> this shows the better hope that Melchizedek was actually able to live up to this righteous standard. He was a king of righteousness. He was a king of righteousness, which meant he was a king of peace as well. He had, by nature, his name meant righteousness. And absolutely, Jesus is the better fulfillment of that. He lived perfectly. He lived perfectly. You see, uh, our flesh doesn't like that. It's offended because we, by nature, want to make our own definition for righteousness. Meaning, well, you know... The Bible might say that, but really, I'm all right if I, you know, do such and such. You know, we like to do that. A good example of that is Romans 10. Well, not an example, but Paul talks about it in Romans 10 verse 3. It says, For being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So, we can't live up to God's righteousness. And so we go, okay, well, you know, I'm not really a bad person. I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Because I am a good person at heart. But no, God's standard shows that none of us are righteous. And that is why it's so good that we have a high priest who has been able to make us righteous not by God's law, but through having faith. Look at Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified, justified meaning being made righteous, uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has, knows that we can't live up to that righteous standard, he says, okay, I'm sending my son to die so that if you have faith in him and truly love him and r- repent, um, you are made righteous. And ultimately, the person who does that then should have a transformation where they start living righteously. But, you know, our flesh doesn't want to live that way. And so... Let me ask you guys, are you redefining righteousness? Do you redefine righteousness? My notes are out of order. Excuse me. There we go. Um, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 gives an example of this. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead People's bones and all in all uncleanliness. See, the Pharisees, they saw God's righteous standard and instead tacked on more laws that made them look righteous. And Jesus condemns this, says, You're whitewashed tombs. You look all pretty on the outside, but really you're dead on the inside. And so that is why we need a high priest who is righteousness for us, that if we have faith in him, we can live out that righteousness so that we can actually have a true relationship with God. And so you can see there in in the, in this um, in this posture how important it is and how much better it is than the original institution. But even still, if someone is a king and priest and king and priest of righteousness, that doesn't mean it's perfect. Like that in itself is only two legs. It will not stand on two legs. Why? Because what if you only had that for a year, right? What if... Jesus was not eternal, but was only our hope for a year. And then he died and never came back. Well, then it's not a real hope. It's not an everlasting hope. And that brings us to the third point that the author is making here. It is, he, is, he gives a better hope because of a period. Um, look at verse 3. It says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. You see, whether or not we can, make, we, can, we can have the question of, you know, is that true? Was Melchizedek, did he actually not have a genealogy? Or did, the, did Moses, when he wrote it in Genesis, did he just not add it? I don't think we should really talk about that. Like, that's not his main point. Really, what he's trying to say is that we have a high priest who now lives forever. That was the, the last song that we sang. We have a hope that is everlasting. And so you guys can see the issue um, in the original one. Uh, the, the high priest, the priest and the high priest, which I learned, I talked to someone after last service, um, they both were picked you know, they would die, and so then someone had to fill their role. Even the high priest was sometimes picked by the Romans, so there's already corruption in there. But they didn't have a full hope, you know, in the guy that's supposed to bridge them to God, right? Because, you know, they might have a good one for a few years, but then when he dies, because he was sinful, you have another guy, and he might not be. But we have a better hope. We have a better hope, which is an eternity of perfection, our hope is perfect for eternity. And so I, I, I worded it like that because really, eternity uh, reveals perfection. If something is perfect, it's going to live on forever. That's why God lives on forever. You know, if you had an organization that, you know, started one day and it's just never going to die out from the end of time, you'd say, man, that's a pretty good organization. Probably perfect, right? So that's that same idea. It's, eternity, revealing eternity shows that he's perfect. That is why Jesus can say in Matthew 12 verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He says, listen, you got two options. You can either follow me or not follow me. That's it. You can't put one toe in, you know, like the parts about Christianity that you like but not the other parts. No, it's either you're with me or against me. And You know, no one could say that if they only live for a few years because you could be with them until they die and then you're not with them anymore. So then you have to be with someone else, you know. But we have a high priest who lives forever and our flesh does not like that. You know, it doesn't like the fact that it has to choose a side or that Jesus is perfect because that means that it reveals our imperfection. And we don't like that in our flesh. I don't like that. Um... A good example of that is my brother Hunter, which he, he's, um, he's on vacation right now, so I'm allowed to talk about him. Um, he was really good at math. He was really good at math. Um, and I was horrible at math, really bad at it. And I would come home with bad grades. I, was, I, couldn't, I didn't understand multiplication, stuff like that. And I would avoid Hunter because even though he had the truth and he wanted to explain it to me, I didn't like the fact that he was in the right and I was not. And so I would avoid him. That's how we act spiritually with God. We would rather avoid all the truths, the truths that reveal the ugliness of who we are, uh, just so that we don't have to deal with it, just so that we can justify ourselves. And I want to give um, you parents out here an application. I've, I've, been, in, um, I've been helping out in youth um, as the intern, and, and I've been taking over a lot of roles and stuff. And I will just say, it is so, so um, sad when I, I talk to kids, and they say, well, you know, my parents say that not all parts of the Bible are true. Or, you know, that's just a cultural thing. You know, we don't really have to listen to that. Because, I mean, first off, parents are the most important pastors that a kid can have. I mean, they just are. They, they, they are the ones that ultimately take care of them. And in Psalm, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And part of that is showing a truth about how ugly our lives are. And your kids desperately need to see the fact that you are not perfect and you are not, um, you are, you're just not righteous they, they need to see that because that's ultimately where they are with, with Jesus. And, and so I say, look and trust in the entirety of the Bible and accept the parts that even show that you're a sinful person. My dad, we always joke with him because he, he once got upset. And he slammed a door and, uh, you, you know, he got upset, but... Like the next day, he came around and I was like in my room and he knocked. He's like, "Hey, I just want to let you know I'm sorry for slamming a door." Like, and I wasn't even in the in the middle of it. I was like, "All right, thanks." Like, but I mean, it it means a lot when you know that your parents are sinful people like you, and so accept the truth in all of its entirety. If if you look at it now and you're like, "Well, man, I'm so far away. I've I've not trusted in the truth completely," go to your kids and say, "Listen, I've really screwed up." They need that so, so much. They really do. Anyways, um, that shows how important it is for uh, there to be not only a king and priest who is over righteousness and peace, but also one that lives for eternity. So those are the three legs that obviously show why Jesus, as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, is the best Which brings us to our fourth point in that he, God, gives us a greater hope um, in a prestige. In this prestige of uh, Melchizedek. Look at the first part of verse 4. It says, see how great this man was. And, I mean, that's what he wants us to do, to look how great of a man he was. Now, I want to give you guys four quick impacts of why this prestige um, matters for us. In our relationship with God. And I'll go through the rest of, of the passage. So the first one is honor is given without a command. Verses five and six says, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, for their from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendants from this them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. You see, those people were commanded to to give tithes, and tithes is another um, in the Hebrew mind that's a way of honoring someone. You're you're giving someone something, um, and they were commanded to do that, and so they are commanded to give it the priests and the high priests uh, tithes. But this guy, he is so great that even Abraham, who we'll talk about in a second, even Abraham. Just without a commandment says, I need to honor you, I need to give you tithes. And that's exactly how our relationship with God should be. That, And we'll get into this in a few chapters, but a new covenant he has given us so that we don't have to follow him just by the letter of the law, but that we can, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can now have a relationship with God that is just Whatever I do, I, I feel like reading a book tonight. Well, I'm going to read it to the glory of God. I'm going to eat this juicy burrito due to the glory of God. You know, like God is the one who created all those heavenly tastes in that burrito. Right? You can give glory to God for a burrito. Amen? Yeah. Um, and so that is what he wants from us, to not just honor him because of commandment. And that's, in, you know, your fathers should understand today, it's, it's cool that you guys get a day to be celebrated, but really, if you need a day, a government day, to appreciate your father, is it really appreciating him? You should want to appreciate him all the time. That shows true appreciation, and that is what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. All right, got to move faster. Melchizedek uh, blessed Abraham. This is the second reason this is in verse 7. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. You see, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because Melchizedek blessed him. I think that's uh, pretty easy for us to understand. But what it shows is that when we submit to the hope that God has established, it is good. It gives us blessing. Now, I don't want to say a prosperity like if you submit to God, you're going to get, you know, a nice house. Uh, your family's going to be wonderful. Like that's obviously not true But it is a blessing to be able to know God even though we are sinners and reject him. That God says, no, no, no. I know you're sinful and that you've hated me your whole life. But I'm going to send my son to die for you. So that we can have a relationship and I can bring you to the place where you were meant to be this whole time. And submitting to God brings blessing. All right. The third point, the honor given is not in vain. Verse eight, it says, in in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Now this might sound a little redundant because he's already explained that he is without genealogy, but really what he's trying to get at is that there um, there is a fruitfulness that you can't get from a Levitical priesthood. Like when you honor the Levites, they're going to die one day. Now, of course, they're doing it for the glory of God. You know, they're, they're doing it to be, you know, have a relationship with God. But still, it means something different. It's just not as good as when you know that you are honoring someone who is living for eternity. You're going to live your entire life for someone because you know that they've lived for eternity. And now you can also live uh, for eternity with him. It gives much more of a fruitfulness to it. That is why Matthew uh, 13.44, Jesus gives a parable that says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is something that is worth investing in. It is um, giving your life, there is an actual benefit to doing it and living the way that God calls us to live. All right, the fourth um, and final one is the Levitical system pointed to something greater. Uh, verses 9 and 10 says, One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. You see, the Levites are connected um, to Abraham in blessing, Ab- or, uh, in blessing Melchizedek because Abraham, they were, you know, they're um, under him. Um, and so there's like a, a headship that shows this blessing, you know, or this uh, honor system. Like the, the, the Hebrews are here, the priests are here, the high priest here, Abraham's here, Melchizedek's here. And as we go on, Jesus is at the top, right? But really it's showing us that all of this was meant to point to something greater, Say they paid tithes, but they were really paying tithes through Abraham, you know, paying uh, Melchizedek. Now, if God had instituted this thing with Melchizedek before he even made the law that said that they had to, you know, through the Levitical priesthood, could he not then just move on to make it about Jesus in the order of high priests, that was something that they struggled with. They said, well, since God has given us this covenant where we are to um, give tithes to the to the Levites, and that's our priest, then there's no way that Jesus would take over for that. But why not if Melchizedek was the first one? So really, it's a stepping stone onto something greater. And that is what my, uh, this is what I want to show you. Uh, and I believe that this is, Really, ultimately, what the author is trying to say, this is that solid meat that God has offered us a greater hope. That God has offered us a greater hope. Now, going back into the thoughts of the boot camp to see where our heart is at. It says in chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek this is the hope this is a hope that is solid food not a um, a spiritual milk you see it it calls us to not just have a religion even if it's a Christian religion that's you know just like by name I'm a Christian well you know my grandpappy my grandpappy was a Christian and that's why I'm a Christian and, but That is not what God's calling us to. You can call yourself a Christian. I mean, that's why it says in in Matthew chapter 7, it says, not all that say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they don't truly know Jesus. They don't truly have a relationship with Jesus. And so he's showing us this greater hope. And there are two options, um, really, for you to take now that you've seen this great hope. Everyone in here now understands this hope. And there are two ways that you can go about answering it it says in hebrews 6 verse 7 through 8 says for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those uh, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from god but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned so either you look at this truth this solid truth and you either say yes i'm going to drink it up I'm going to give my whole life for this. The fact that Jesus is now my high priest, that I can, by having faith in him, live for his righteousness, I'm going to go all in for that. And this is what my life is about. You can either do that, or you can say, I prefer the other stuff. I like the fact that you know I can just be a Christian that walks in on Sunday morning or you know, reads my Bible every now and again, um, but you know, doesn't give my full heart to God. You can do that, but it says that you will not bear any fruit. You will bear thorns and thistles and will be worthless and near to being cursed. And so with those two things, here's my next step for everyone. To enjoy God's greatness. To enjoy God's greatness. You see, for the unbeliever or the person who just goes to church because that is what you've always done, there is so much more. In actually enjoying the truth, taking a big bite out of the the real solid food. You can enjoy it and want to give your whole life to God. What does that mean? I mean that's I mean enjoying the truths. Looking at scripture honestly and saying, yeah, these, it reveals something ugly about me, but I'm going to give my whole life because he even though Jesus knows how ugly I am, I can now have a relationship with God because he is our high priest. Um, You know, finding a believer. Talk to me or one of the pastors or a a believer here and say, what should I do? How should I um, truly take these steps to going all in, diving all in to what it means uh, to follow Christ as my high priest? For the believers here, um, those who have actually given um, their lives and, and have understood this hope and have it, this uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 12, I believe, gives um, the perfect application. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. You see, he says, don't, Don't become dull of hearing. Press on. Be like Abraham. Enjoy that promise. Continue on in those ways. Take off whatever you have to that's taking away your hope from this high priest. Continue to press into God's word and conform to Christ's image of righteousness and priests. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good and we don't deserve you. We are sinful. I am sinful. And, and the fact that you, even knowing my sin, still love me enough that I can have a relationship with you, not on works of my own, but a, attaining a righteousness that is by Jesus is just unbelievably a greater hope. And Lord, I pray for everyone here today that we don't just leave and say, well, this is this is cool and all, but I prefer what makes me comfortable. But to, I pray that we actually enjoy your great design, this hope for us, and that we step into it. Lord, I thank you for all you do. You're a good God, and we don't deserve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.